there is a, a cliche that used to be used by uh, estate agents with reference to what three factors are important in the selling of a house. And uh, you'll know it as the name, perhaps, of a television program. Location, location, location. And in that program uh, on Channel 4, uh, the house hunters, Kirsty and Phil, are told to find the right place for the right money, and it's seemingly an impossible task because the, the people that want to buy a house um, always want it in the best area and don't want to pay the going rate. You know, and it's this. Is it go to work out? Is it not? It seems impossible, but somehow in nearly every episode, they pull the right home out of the bag by the end of the show. Not necessarily with the same features or where the family actually said they wanted it. But the journey they have gone on makes them realise that there has to be compromise, there has to be change. And that leads them into making a different decision. Location is the key element in tonight's passage too. And it's something about how we weigh things up. Just the same today. This is Jesus' home. It's his hometown. Now it actually doesn't tell us what they're meaning by that. Whether it's Capernaum whether it's Nazareth, whether it's somewhere else, it kind of, the Bible suggests, different places where Jesus lives at different times. So, but there's this idea that it's where he grew up, where he's known, where he has settled, where the family is. And along with those ideas, comes the ideas that the people of that town have. Preconceived ideas about who Jesus is and what he should or should not be doing. What he should and what he should not be able to say. The action takes place, as many of the healings have done so far, in a synagogue and on a Sabbath. And of course, we've got this concept of there's been a bit of a struggle in the synagogues round about. People have, in authority have started to question who Jesus is, but then we've just had Jairus's daughter and he was a leader in a synagogue. So there's an openness in some ways and a closeness of mind in others. A synagogue is a place of faith, but also of general gathering. It's a place where the whole town would meet 
where they would encounter one another. And when you meet people, you engage in fellowship. You chat. Whether it's in the time of coffee that we have before this or after the morning service, you chat about what's going on, what's happening. And as you chat, maybe you gossip. And it's the gossip and this setting, this place that should be a focus of faith and growth and of healing and wholeness becomes a place of dissent. Of anger, of mistrust, of ill feeling. It's the undoing of things. This is a game of two halves. In verse 2, everyone is amazed by the wisdom of the teaching and the power of the miracles. It's wonderful. Everything's going great. That verse is moseying along. And then suddenly, as people twig to who Jesus is in the earthly sense, it all gets turned on its head in verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the man who works with his hands? rather than having the equivalent of a university education? Isn't this the bloke that should just stick to making tables and chairs, rather than telling us how to live? This is what the first bit's telling us. He's not had that education. What qualifies him to teach? What enables him to be doing this? Should he really be expressing his understanding of God's holy scripture? And then we get, isn't this Mary's son? Now, of course, we we suspect that Joseph died some years ago. We don't know the facts surrounding it. But there's more here than just saying it's Mary's son. The identification by the mother rather than the father speaks volumes. Mark doesn't have that nativity narrative but here there is a question placed over the legitimacy of Jesus at his birth. It's saying It's Mary's son, might not be Joseph's. You know, his parents weren't married when she was pregnant. Then it goes on from there. We get his brothers named in reference to his sisters. And then Fern says, we know these folk. We know this family. We know what they are like. 
these are the folk that, and you can fill in the gap, depending on what that family was like. How often do we say that about families in this church? The family that's late, the family that does this, the family that does that. We label people. Gossip and categorizing undermines the reality of the situation for Jesus. The more rumors are present, the crowd starts to forget the starting point of the journey. What's this wisdom that's here? What's this wonderful teaching? What is this word that comes from God? Where's the depth of it? What are these remarkable miracles? What are these happenings that we don't understand that can only come from God? All that goes out the window. All that is laid aside because the people start to think in human ways going, it's that Jesus, isn't it? The same is true in every community, in every church. We sweep away what is good because it is easier to pull somebody down than to lift somebody up. It's easier to pick the flaws than to give the praise. And that leads to ministry in the widest sense, not working. What we have to be doing is concentrating on the good. When training a dog, it's considered best practice to reward immediately when you see it doing the good thing. When it comes, you give it the reward. When it doesn't come, you don't give it a hard time. Unless it's doing something dangerous. You reward what is good. You ignore what is slightly off. And you stop what's completely evil. Completely wrong. In my copy of How It Works, the dog. This is one of those adult ladybird books. Uh, there's a lovely picture here of Muffin, which is a sort of beagley type dog. It says, Lorna comes home and finds that Muffin has had a little accident in the kitchen. She shouts at him and rubs his nose in it. Muffin wonders what has upset Lorna. He decides it was the noise the front door made just now when Lorna came in. Muffin goes and scratches the door to teach it a lesson. But Lorna shouts at him again. 
poor muffin can get nothing right. The rewards have to be timely too, and the punishment is there. It makes no difference to poor muffin that the nose was rubbed because too long had expired since the time. If we look for the negative, if we look for the thing we will wrong we think is wrong, we will find the negative and that will become our focus. If our understanding of the Old Testament is war and violence, if it is an understanding of distress and fear, then that is the narrative that will enter our heart and mind about what the Old Testament is like and give us a slightly different picture of God than the God that we see experienced in Jesus in the New Testament. But God is unchanging. He is always the same. If we instead look for the love in the story of God's people, of how he knows that they are a fallen people but continues to love them, how he provides for them in the times of need, how they survive famine through Joseph in Egypt, how they are released from captivity and led by Moses. If we consider the number of times the prophets are sent and called forth to speak of the need to repent, to avoid danger, we actually get a story in the Old Testament of a God who loves the people, no matter the fact that they keep ignoring him. If we think of that story, we get a very different picture of God and a different way that we are called to live. So in our church, we need to think of how we encourage, not how we pull people down, not how we turn negative thoughts all the time, but how we praise the positive. How we see this church grow through thinking of what is right rather than what is wrong. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. It's far too easy for me to say, well, that didn't go well. Or to put something aside, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Sometimes we just lay it on as easily and as quickly as we can. The ministry of Jesus in his hometown was hampered by negativity. It says he was only able to do a few miracles. The idea is that there was such a lack of faith. It annoyed him that there was such a lack of faith. Um, We might say that we'd be quite keen to see a few miracles. It'd be quite nice to see even just a few 
miracles. But actually, we do see prayers answered. And we have to think of those prayers that are answered and rejoice in them. Not always answered the way that we hope for. Not always answered in the timeliness that we might have on our watch. But answered in God's way. So tonight, let's uh, spend a few minutes thinking of, firstly, um, who we might be overlooking. And what they might bring. Who is it that we just push aside and ignore and say, oh, they're from that family. They're from that background. They're from that experience. Who do we say? That's Mary's son. Who needs the encouragement? And how do we give it? Think of how we pour that blessing on people and help them see a bit of flourishing in their life. Who might have a little shoot coming up that, you know, needs a little bit of coaxing? Slight word of, yes, that's the thing to do. What blessing to the church can we be? And how great will be the difference if we only talk the church up rather than pulling it down? Then I wonder what location this is. Quite a different place. And others would see that too.